Welcome to this episode of the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. Host Julian Mitchell will be connecting you with guests from a wide range of different media genres and platforms. In today's episode, the panel is discussing cloud-based media delivery technologies that are used by sports clubs in a world where they've needed to become media companies in their own right. Guests include Tom Bassam, the editor of Sports Pro Media, and Mark Wood, Production Solutions Director at Pulse Live. Welcome to the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Sony Podcast. Today, we are talking about sports brands who become media companies and how they project themselves to their fans, to their customers. We wanted to start off with maybe some of the more well-known examples of this in Europe and the States, and maybe talking about the NBA and the NFL and just catching up with how they're doing this thing that we describe, how they're becoming media companies. Yeah, I think the, the two the two examples you mentioned there, Julian, are, are really, really strong ones. Um, both the both the NFL and the NBA in the last year really spent a lot of time and put a lot of effort into um, thinking about how they can be like public facing media brands as as well as selling their rights for billions of dollars. And um, the NBA, for example, launched relaunched their their app last year, and um, which is now is I mean it's an incredible app actually if you open it up it's uh, it is kind of almost a, a social media platform in and of itself it features it, like lots of kind of the kind of viral clips that you're you tend to see on your instagram feed or your tiktok feed or on twitter or x sorry these days um and uh, but built into that as well as the ability to to stream games uh, and that's like that that works across mobile and smart tv and it's it's kind of um probably the best example i think so far of like what an ott and over-the-top service can be because it does exactly kind of that. It, it goes over the top. It gives you everything that a super fan might want. And that's kind of really, I think, the the point at, the, at this stage for, for for those big um rights holders is, is to be is to be serving that super fan with these kind of products. So it it offers them, yeah, kind of the, the, the content to keep them engaged between games, but also when their teams are on, it has that ability and the the tech support actually and the kind of technical ability to um yeah to show those games in in a pretty high quality and the nfl again like another similar example they've gotten a bit more down the mobile focus route to start with but actually for the start of this season uh nfl plus which they launched last year and in, that's uh that's now also showing live games for for fans in in market so it's not national but it is in market and it has the ability to do that and that's also across smart tv and mobile so i think like, it's no real surprise that the, that the US is a leader here. I think when it comes to those kind of big properties and engaging their fans. But yeah, I think those are two very strong examples of the way in which uh, the way in which this media landscape is going. Is this a subscription or part of a uh, subscription? So there's kind of a bit of, it's a bit flexy. So that, I mean, there's different tiers for sure. And the the NBA app, for example, you can open up for free, uh, but if you want to get the league pass element of that, you have to pay for it. But within that, they'll also offer mini payments for games as well. So yeah, there's there's kind of lots of different access points that, um, yeah, while the bother is certainly a paid element, it's, um, yeah, it, the idea is to kind of have that broad top of funnel where you get 
some things for free and then the more the, the more uh yeah the more costlier the, the the content on offer that's when you start paying for it okay uh, and mark do you see this app route as something happening in europe or maybe some premiership clubs or or even big clubs like uh, Barcelona we mentioned when we talked before. Is that a route that, that America is showing the other clubs how to do it? Um, I think that's a really good question, actually. I think, um, I think maybe in some areas with mobile applications, the, the European clubs um, might actually be slightly ahead of America. They can have a much broader proposition uh, it tends to be that the individual clubs will have um, the rights to make sure that they are developing their applications in the way that they want to and having that relationship with the fans that they want to i think the 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 structure between the the american leagues and the european leagues is quite different in terms of who owns the the rights to to build uh websites and mobile apps um with american leagues tending to collectively bargain and then pre present their, their teams with options that they can then use. Whereas in, in Europe, we're finding that um, it's, it's generally the clubs that then have the rights to do whatever they want to do. Um, therefore, bigger clubs and much bigger budgets can, can go much further. And then the smaller clubs um, may enter into something that's more of a collective agreement um, that suits them and their budgets. And as a customer, perhaps the American model is is better because then you don't have so many multiple apps that you have to use um yeah it can be i think you're, you're still going to get a a fan facing app for your team so yeah. you know most people tend to only be a fan of one or two teams at most so you're not really gaining that many more applications and it's it's an interesting point where that collective power the rising tide lifts all ships everybody gets a, a better application but it does make it harder for the um, bigger teams and the teams that want to invest into this to stand out from the crowd a lot more. Tell us what some of your customers are doing in that space. Is it Barcelona, um, Liverpool? Yes, yeah, we work at Barcelona. So Barcelona um, focuses very much on both web and, and mobile and really driving home a lot of their multilingual content, really trying to support their very large global fan base. They are really really heavily into a b testing a lot of what they're doing they really try to experiment and they're trying to innovate at every opportunity um video is a, a massive proposition for them and one of the things that they they are really starting to branch out is to say well actually we're not just a football club we're a sports club um so they they will promote their basketball team they'll promote their handball teams their women's team is, you know, one of the best in the world, and they will they will try to give that exposure and that 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 fandom um, that yeah, access to all of the fans for all of the sports that they are they're producing. And then, as they start to think about that that way of how can they gain more fans, about becoming more of a brand, um, things like branching out into things you know, things like Lego. You know, they, they have a partnership there. They have all sorts of other partnerships that are not just directly tied to the sport, but are ways of bringing new fans into the Barcelona family. Um, something recently uh, with Inter Miami has maybe uh, broken the mold slightly with what they're doing with, um, with Messi. 
Tom, do you know do you know much about the relationship that Apple has with with Inter Miami, and what's happening there? Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting example, and I think probably there's only one or two players in the world in any sport that could probably get this kind of agreement. Um, it's not been officially confirmed anywhere. I don't think like exactly what the relationship entails, but there's a, a part as part of the agreement to, to bring Messi to MLS uh, and for him to sign for Inter Miami. Uh, there was, a, yeah, talks of the fact that he will get a. Uh, a part of some of the revenue that's generated from sales of MLS season pass, which is basically the OTT product that Major League Soccer launched this year with Apple. It's a global deal. Uh, basically means that Apple TV carries like every single MLS game everywhere in the world. And and given that like I mean given that the arrival of Messi has spiked massive interest in the league, I mean I think uh, I think I think like, for his debut alone they signed up a hundred thousand new subscribers. So, I mean, you can kind of see the impact that he has and that's factored into that agreement. Uh, there's also other things that go into that as well. So like he's, there's, um, there's this other messy, uh, documentaries and content being produced by Apple. He has an agreement, a se- kind of separate agreement with them, but uh, yeah, it's kind of part of that, uh, broader package to bring him to, to MLS. Uh, he, he's, uh, yeah, one of the very few, few players in the world that benefits from the, from a league rights deal, like uh, the equivalent, I guess, for here would be if someone was to say, okay, right, um, Erling Haaland is now going to get an X percentage of uh, the, Premier, the Premier League's domestic rights because he's driving interest in such a massive way. I mean, it, it wouldn't happen, but it makes sense in MLS when you're signing such a marquee like that, I think. Maybe some of the NBA players might have that kind of reach and power, but it's hard to think of many others, isn't it? Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and... Yeah, the, given the, the shelf life of, uh, of an athlete, it's, uh, it's it's very very impressive, and it's, I, I don't know actually. I mean, I don't know if it's a model that we'll see replicated in many other places. To be honest, it, it is almost it is almost unique. I think. Coming up to the Rugby World Cup, I know Mark, your company is involved with um, that package. Could you break down what's available at the moment and how it's going? If you've had any feedback. In terms of what we're building, we we're building the the official Rugby World Cup website and and the mobile application. So sort of the the primary destination for rugby fans to actually go and find uh, any information they need um, about the World Cup. Um, I was taking a look through the, the through the site this morning, and the thing that really stands out for me at the moment is um, full match highlights for every single game. Um, some of these. Um, then get locked behind a, a registration wall, but it's all it's free. Um, so it's a great way for World Rugby to to learn more about who the who their rugby fans are and to have that initial relationship with them, which they can then turn into more of an ongoing relationship. The other things that are really then helping to drive that insight are some of the, the games and the interactive um, elements to that. So um, there's a match predictor where you can um, try to guess the outcome of any match. And as ever, a very popular fantasy game as well, where you can compete with your friends to um, show just who knows the most about rugby and um, get your bragging points. In terms of the feedback, I think everybody's incredibly pleased with how things are going. Cool. Um, we're seeing lots of uptake, um, both in terms of number of downloads of the apps, 
Um, tournament apps are always incredibly popular. Um, a really great asset to to any any tournament situation, giving people that ability to find out what's happening um, at every single point in the tournament, especially with something like a World Cup where there are so many games happening every single day. Um, they the tournament's been structured so that there are no games happening concurrently, and therefore the odds of you being able to watch uh, as many games as you might like is just not really feasible. So people returning to these um, apps for for that information. I think one other thing that's that's really uh, quite interesting there is um, World Rugby have uh, in, a little while ago now purchased the Rugby Pass uh, website, so that as a governing body they have to remain very neutral and they can't show really show any bias or any favoritism towards any one team. They want they you know they're there for the sport and for the tournament. Um, but by buying a, a separate media company, they can now start to have a more uh, an outlet for things that are much more creative, um, that can commiserate with fans when things don't go their way. They can cheer on players when they're doing really well, and they can have a bit more of an interesting voice that um, the fans are also looking for. And what's the life of something like the site you've built? Um, obviously, you go beyond at the end or the final, but what's built into that for fans? The Rugby World Cup website is a destination for fans to be able to go to find out about any World Cup. So once right. we move out of a tournament mode, we'll we'll quickly move into um, more of a living archive. Um, and then we will start to then talk about the, the road to the next World Cup qualification and the process of actually getting to the next World Cup is, you know, actually does genuinely take a long time. And there's obviously international rugby happening all the time. So that will also then factor into that that engagement. There's obviously a, a massive uh, drop-off in engagement uh, for these um, tournament sites that live every four years. Um, and it's all about continually building that relationship back up in the run-up to those tournaments. We wanted to end on what uh, I think Mark termed as beyond video, which is the kind of social media shared games type thing and 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 maybe talk about what's there at the moment and and what's coming potentially obviously at the moment social media shared games are options that are there what kind of state are they in is this something that's playable now or i think um i think some of the more interesting stuff is being done by ufc at the moment um so they have a they have an agreement with uh, with Meta to um, which essentially means that they will broadcast uh, some of their like some of their live fights in VR in Meta's X Stadium and Horizon Worlds like digital environments, which are sort of I mean like, trying to describe Metaverse is is tough at the best of times, but essentially it's a virtual reality world um, yeah. uh, which allows you to kind of interact with the people around you and what's in front of you. So it's almost like you're you're kind of being taken into an arena while sat wearing a VR headset, which I think is like uh, it's a, it's an interesting development. I, I still I'm not entirely convinced that people in the future will be wanting to sit and what and uh sit watching like live sport wearing a vr headset especially given it's kind of quite a shared experience anyway quite a lot of the time um but it, it still kind of says where this is going which is that uh like connectivity right it sits at the kind of part of sport I and mean, if you can provide that in a digital environment then that's uh that's certainly something that people are going to explore until it kind of is proved to prove to work or not work uh 
they're not the only ones doing it. The WNBA are kind of doing similar things too. Um, as are another, as are a kind of handful of sports properties. But yeah, I, I think that watching in watching in different worlds and Roblox is another another platform which is offering that kind of thing. That will be a that will be a something that I think get gets explored by sports properties, especially the more kind of adventurous ones in the next few years when it comes to this kind of stuff. So Roblox is a similar is a is a metaverse type thing. Yeah, Roblox is. I mean, it's like it looks like a kids' game, and but it it's, it's a virtual world in which you your avatar you you can walk around it, and there's different and I like. For example, each of the tennis grandstands has a has a Roblox experience. Like they don't watch, they don't offer live viewing in that yet, but it's not completely out of the question. And it's just, yeah, it just kind of it basically kind of provides a for maybe for older generations. I think like Second Life was probably a good a, a good old example mm-hmm. of this or something similar. And but yeah, it, it's it's allows you to kind of take yourself out of your your front room and go into somewhere else um, and offer that live viewing experience in a different way. And Mark, do you, what do you see coming up? Uh, what's your company kind of looking at as 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 future investment, maybe, or a future area you can work in? Yes, I think actually the the, the Roblox example there is a is a really apt one. Um, uh, Sony Sports, um, it's something that we've um, been investing into and, and working in. Um, and a great example there would be um, taking the the Hawkeye skeletal tracking data that is used for um, some forms of officiating and therefore um, you know, mind-bogglingly accurate um, to, to then actually yeah, port that into the Roblox world. And I think that was um, something that was done for the FIFA World Cup um, last year, giving children um, a, a way of engaging with something which is um, both enormously fun just to interact with, but also then very accurate giving them all the, the highlights and the clips in a way in, in a format that is um, effectively bringing that content to them rather than asking you to come, uh, them to come to you. Um, great way of then get driving engagement and, and interaction with that particular event. We're seeing examples with um, clubs like Manchester City um, where they are starting to think about their own metaverse um, and something where they are working with a team within Sony to to build a metaverse where it's just for the fans, but instead of having something which is trying to be too too dry, they're actually they're actually thinking about how they can build AI personalities into into that system, which are truly driven by that sort of feeling of you're talking to a fan, and you're talking to a fan that knows a huge amount about the club and then you, you can actually have an interesting interaction with that with that personality we'll see there's still a, there's still a huge amount of uh, work and a long way to go to, to bring these systems uh into um common use um it's still very much a you know a little bit like talking to your alexa in that it's not quite as natural as it would like to be at the moment but it, these sorts of technologies are improving every day um i don't think it's going to be too long before that sort of ability to inject a personality into any sort of conversation that you've got where you can um, ask it questions, you can get get it to give you an opinion, is all going to be something that's quite normal. Um, I would agree with Tom that I think wearing a, wearing a headset to watch a match is probably not going to take off. Yeah. Um, I think that, that social aspect of 
sitting down on a sofa and um, watching a game together um, is always going to be something that is hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see kids wanting to converse with maybe an avatar of Harlan, for instance, something like that. I mean, in that way, that it's like you know, collecting cards way back when. It's it's the modern version, maybe. Yeah, and I think it's a really great point to make. I think we, we we've seen a bit of a rise and a fall of NFTs, but the the idea behind being able to collect digital items and those sorts of microtransactions, different rarities. That's not going to go away. That's, it's, you know, whether it's just a collection of pixels or not, it's it's so much fun to start building a collection and to be able to show it off and talk about it with your friends. And it's those little mini dopamine hits that, that everybody loves. More for that. Fascinating stuff. Um, absolutely. And thanks both of you for joining us. And goodbye from us. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.